1: Speed. All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back. The dynamic duo is back. Will is back from his travels. Will, welcome back, buddy.
2: Yeah, great to be back. Great to be back, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. Those who uh, follow us on social media, if you've been friendly with Will over the years, you've, you've known that he likes to post pics, and uh, he's got uh, more coming. So I knew that I would be able to live vicariously through Will this whole trip. <laughs> And it's been nice. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I did. Uh, I lived vicariously through uh, Large William, and uh, I'm glad you had a good trip. Um, I'm glad you had fun, um, and I'm glad the kids had fun. I mean, you know, obviously, that's a big trip. That's a once-in-a-lifetime trip for a lot of people, so it's a big one. Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Um, grateful we got to do it. Wish you and I could have had some Hill and Spencer shenanigans over there.
1: (laughs) Maybe one day. Um, What'd you go to Italy for? To eat a plate of beans with my friend?
2: That's right. (laughs) That's right. Whip some ass, get mistaken in a case of sort of mistaken identity. I jinxed into
1: possibly wearing a, a very large denim shirt and a sailor's hat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cuz I think for me I'd I'd have to have the Spencer role because I got the beard already and everything. So
2: that's right, man. no that's right 100%. But uh no, it was great. Um just, you know, two things very quickly related to the trip. Went to Profondo Rosso, the Deep Red Store, Arge- Dario Argento's store in Rome. The two non-negotiables for me in Rome were the Coliseum and that store, nice. which may sound wild, but if you love movies like we love movies, and if you listen to the show, you probably do love movies, you'll understand. And I've seen friends over the years post their pictures in front of the store, and I was like, oh, man, I got to get there. And uh, thankfully I did. Luigi Cuzz, he was super cool. I would said to a few people online, um, he, he and I talked about film, about Fernando DeLeo, nice. De, De, Damiano Damiani, De We talked about Lou Ferrigno's stunt double, which was tricky to get um, (laughs) because of his size and how (laughs) Lou wasn't wasn't overly fond of horseback riding or (laughs) aquatic scenes. Ah, yes. There we go. So that was, yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. And speaking of lovely, uh, Jen's dinner in King's Cross at the appropriately named German gymnasium. Uh, yes. Oh man. Tip my cap. Davy Alcock organized this thing. Uh, Paul Hughes took like a million hour training from the North, <laughs> uh, in Manchester, uh, Andy Carr, Andrew Sider, a fellow, uh, American should be said was who's been living, living abroad there for a bit. Nice. And, uh, Kashif long time, uh, long time gents. Um, you know, we all got together and, uh, Got to eat, drink, and be merry, and it was uh, just a lovely, lovely night. Good for the soul. Much like, you know, the ones when you and I get together or we get together with friends in, you know, Philly area or L.A., anywhere, right? We got – we're blessed to be part of such a wonderful community of friends. Um, right. That stuff's good for the soul. It's the stuff you – it keeps you warm in the, the, the cold days. So thank you to everyone. Right. And uh, I'm glad to be back with my buddy, man. Glad to be back with uh, – Sam, Jam.
1: It's interesting The when we go on these trips. Um, you know, we're not international celebrities, but it is interesting when we go on these trips to meet people that have listened to us and have communicated with us over the years and to see pictures and the interaction and stuff. It's always very touching to see that stuff. Um, I don't know why. I, I, I guess it's just the human nature of the whole thing, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it, you know, we admire all so many people just in their day-to-day lives and, you know, they don't do podcasting or whatnot and they become friends. they become family and it's it's very interesting to me uh, out of everything. And we've talked about this before. This is not new, but out of everything that comes out of podcasting, that's the thing that still kind of blows my mind is oh, the, same. the family aspect it brings in the, the finding of your own tribe. The uh, just, it's just, it's amazing to me.
2: It is. You know, Dom Toretto approves
1: of the way we do things. Yeah. 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 I mean, you end up staying at these people's houses. You end up seeing their kids. You end up, you know, if they got an illness, you end up going through it with them. It's just, it's, it's insane. It's, it's, um, it's not, and I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about, you know, big, epic, you know, radio shows and things like that, but it's a totally different mentality. It's a mentality of, I don't know, sharing and, and, uh, well, for lack of a better word, caring, I'm rapping this morning, Sherman and caring. Um, but it is that, uh, it, it's this interesting thing that, you know, you become, you know, these people have become lifelong friends. Like everybody I've met through podcasting, like they've, the, you know, they're brothers and sisters to me. It's un- unbelievable. That's true. It's crazy. I I, I think about that every time. I go somewhere and, or anytime you go somewhere and I see you meet with somebody or vice versa, I'm sure you probably think the same thing. It's like, you know, how, how lucky are we that, you know, this happens.
2: Yeah. The people have taken an interest, open their homes, their hearts, you know, give of their time, um, that leap of faith, you know, it's, it's remarkable.
1: Yeah. It's it, it is. It just, it really is. All right. I'm going to. Hang on. I almost played some feedback. But <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a great trip, um, and I'm glad uh, some folks got to see you, and I'm glad you got to see the sights. And I'm glad the kids had a good time and the wife had a good time and the family had a good time. So for those who don't know, Will's whole family, uh, big side of his family went, and his wife's side, I think. So yep. I'm glad everybody had a good time.
2: Yes, sir. It's amazing. No, it's thank good you. to hear.
1: But now we're back into the grind, uh, back into the the daily life. But uh, there are some things to be said for that. And obviously back here at the GGTMC we were back into it with episode number 650. Just keep plugging along here. And uh, this being filmed since I went back and updated the the spreadsheet with well, this is film number twelve hundred and fifty six. which is Just insane that we have covered on the show. <laughs> what number is it? Twelve hundred and fifty six.
2: That's crazy, man.
1: <laughs> well, what's crazy about it, what's always crazy about it to me is there's so much more to talk about.
2: We haven't even scratched the surface, it feels like.
1: No, I'd say we're less than 1% of what we'd want to talk about.
2: Dude, 100%, <laughs> you're
1: right. And that's that's crazy to me. And that's not even talking about the stuff people want us to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's nuts. It's totally nuts. But um, I just want to go back and thank the... Not a bomb guys and the Watch Skip Plus guys for stepping in while Will was out. Want to make sure I get that out of the way and uh, uh, check out those shows, obviously. Uh, They've become a very close part of our family. Those guys were always close to us behind the scenes anyway, but now they have podcasts and successful podcasts. um, Not that we wouldn't be friends with them if they didn't have successful podcasts. We were before. but uh, uh, Before they hit the big time. Yeah, But we were friends with them before, and and, uh, I want to thank them for stepping in and uh, working around my schedule. Dude, they always answer the bell,
2: right? I mean, it, it's we're very lucky to have so many people that, that are willing to do that. These guys answer the bell, and they're pros. And I know you people always hear us pump them up on our show, but there's a reason. I mean, we would, you know, I guess we probably would even if, um,
1: yeah, we would you know. if they were cooking spaghetti. I mean, you
2: know, yeah. But but their shows are great. They're polished. They're passionate. They're funny. Yeah. Uh, they're insightful. You know, give him a spin if you haven't.
1: Yeah. And behind the scenes, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Randy's heavily involved in all of it. Somehow, someway, always.
2: <laughs> always. Randy's always conducting
1: things, man. He is. The, he is the bringer of togetherness. Yes. All right. So that's uh, some of our pleasantries out of the way. We're going to get into our, we're gonna, well, we're going to get into what we're talking about this week. This week, we're doing State of Siege, uh, 1972, directed by Costa Gavris. Um, We did a gavras related film from his uh, son earlier this year which was interesting and very Gavras like with a modern slant so it was interesting to go back and look at this one and uh, i had never seen this one for the record um but it, it is underseen and uh, i had never seen it uh full disclosure so this was interesting for me so uh we'll talk about that uh here in a little bit a little more detail obviously um. Let's get. Uh, we got some feedback from Walt. I think he waits. Walt is such a dedicated listener now that he waits to send feedback when he knows you're going to be back. I think, which is awesome. Like he he he's paying attention to the schedule that closely. I might be giving him too much credit. Behind the scenes, he might be like, "Well, I didn't mean to do that," but I don't know. <laughs> Walt's awesome. Walt, listen. Yeah, I, I love Walt. I'm cutting in and out. Hang on a second. Yeah, you're cutting in. And out. Well, yeah,
2: okay. just, just you did. Yeah, no, well, it's, well, it's amazing, man. Okay. Yeah. So I was gonna say the same to you. You're
1: cutting yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost some, uh, some connection issues there for a second. I think we're, we're getting back into it here. Uh, you know, the, we are, you know, a podcast that does this over the internet, so we are the victim sometimes of uh spotty internet, and right now it's a little spotty. We're gonna go for it. All right, I'm going to play the feedback now. Here we go. We'll see if it'll play. I don't know if it will. It's uh, being very slow, to say the least, and uh, causing me all kinds you, of issues. Do you want to hang uh, we'll, try, we'll try this real quick here and uh, see what happens. Hang on. I don't know why we're having this issue suddenly. It's very odd to me. All right, everybody. So now I got to figure it out. It looks like I got to figure it figure out. I had to change internet connections. Seamless, this podcast, let me tell you. Here we go. A little voicemail from Walt.
3: Gentlemen. Hopefully you nice can hear it. Nice to talk to you again. You probably it's can't. It's been a while. <laughs> no chance. Here at the beginning of fall. What about now? Depending on which you prefer, <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, recently, I had a chance to watch. A little cult curiosity called The Astrologer from 1976. Not to be confused with the other astrologer from around the same period. This one, directed by and starring one Craig Denny. Who is Craig Denny? I don't know. He does look a little like Dick Gautier. <laughs> and there's about two people in the world who are going to get that. You might be two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. This movie is a real ego project. Uh Mr. Denny, one of the reasons he uh, apparently made it was to promote his version of astrology, which uh, doesn't seem like a good reason to make a movie. But <laughs> there you go. His Such version. Is cinema. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons uh, this movie is not on video, because uh, Mr. Denny just dropped in some uh, Moody Blues tracks right in the middle of the movie <laughs> and then had the guts to go ahead and credit them at the end. In the credits, after he stole their music, this is not going to be on video, but you can find a copy, perhaps, let's say, on a little site that is an org of perhaps an archive or something like that. The Astrologer from 1976. Best to you, gentlemen. Enjoy the show. Keep on trucking. Thanks, yeah. guys. I felt like the
1: the Astrologer, the Craig Guinea Astrologer, I felt like it, it, had a, it had a bit of a moment on the internet there for a little while, a couple years ago. I- it definitely did it yeah. was it was wildfire
2: because it had been one of those kind of holy grail films that was just like um like what was say, a bit of a curio piece mm-hmm. and seemed like it would be kind of a a self-indulgent vanity piece uh slash you know american jodorowsky jam maybe you know it just it's it's wild and it's it's interesting um I've seen worse. I'll see
1: worse again. Jamming it with faint praise, but uh, I liked it well enough. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, there was The Astrologer in 76. That's the Craig Denny film. And then yep. there's The Astrologer in 75, the James Glickenhaus jam.
2: Yeah, which is funny. It's, that's always the way it goes. It's like L- L- Lombada and Lombada, the forbidden yeah. dance.
1: Yeah, Yeah, which I've seen one of these, and I couldn't tell you which one it is.
2: I saw the, the one Walt's talking about. I don't remember seeing the Glickenhaus one. Um,
1: I think I've seen the Glickenhaus one. But
2: what sounds cool, I have not. <laughs> That'd be a fun double. <laughs> the astrologer and the astrologer. The, this Glickenhaus one sounds kind of fun because it's right in the middle of all that kind of satanic panic. Or it's sort of like um, like the Fonda Oats jam. Yeah. you know, A scientist uh, ends up coming in conflict with a Satan-worshipping suicide cult. What could go wrong?
1: Yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah, I definitely have seen the other one because of the the Monica Tidwell, kind of a cult actress, redhead. Uh, so anyway, um, I'm sure folks will go down a wormhole now with that. Uh, well, thanks, Walt, as always. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Let's get into what we've been watching. I know you haven't been watching a whole lot, but you did watch some stuff. Yeah, you watched some stuff before you got out of town, though.
2: Yeah, and I, I saw some stuff, uh, when I was on the plane.
1: Oh, okay. That's right. That's right.
2: Yeah. One of the cool things, um, one of the cool things about having a dog that is energetic and small is <laughs> yeah. the barks are always ill timed um, Yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> let, me, let me straighten it out. Here. Give just 10 seconds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta wrangle that thing in there. That's, uh, these dogs, man, they act like they run the show. When in reality, they do. They kind of do, yeah. yeah. yeah, They know that if they bark enough. You're going you're gonna to react. Yeah, so I'll,
2: I'm going to just pet her for a minute. I don't have the heart okay. to kick her out of the room. All right. That's um, nice. But I did see a few things. And uh, yeah, I got to say, I love this feature, as I was saying, where you can download from a lot of the different streaming apps. Mm-hmm. And then you have it, whether you're offline, online. And so in airplane mode on a plane, it, it works lovely. Yes. Um, So the few things I watched... Did I talk about Vivarium? I don't know if I did.
1: I don't think so. I don't recall that conversation.
2: So Vivarium's interesting. Um, I was packing and wanted to watch something. And... Oh, man. Come on. I'll pet you again. uh, This one's one I'd never even heard of. But I like the young actors in it. Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. Feels a bit like... um, it's a, I think it's an Irish filmmaker, Lorcan Finnegan. Name sounds Irish. Um, it's a bit kind of a lynchy, surreal kind of nightmare about this couple who ends up trapped in this sort of suburban hell. Um, you're going to go in about two seconds. And uh, it's, it's not bad. Um, I like its ambition. I like what it's going for. Both the stars believe it in it enough to throw some money in uh, to get it made. Um, like to be executive producers on it and stuff. So it's good, not great. There's a few misfires. Um, there's a child actor in it that is meant to be grading, and <laughs> in some ironic way is, is grading in ways maybe they hadn't intended and comes across as just ridiculous. <laughs> so that's a problem. Yeah. It's got to over. Uh, but listen, I, I'll always take an ambitious misstep over a, a buy the numbers, play it safe feature, right? So, um, solid, right? Know. Right. Next up, got on the plane. Canadian film I'd meant to watch for some time called Rice Boy Sleeps. This is a very personal film from the director and the writer. Um, it's just about the the Korean Canadian immigrant experience in the uh, in the '90s. But a, a, a single mother. Widowed, uh, you know, she's a widow. She moves to Canada with her young son to find a better life. Um, I like this. I like this quite a bit. It's, it doesn't tread on overly familiar ground all the time. I mean, yeah, it feels very kitchen sinky and very honest. Um, it doesn't feel kind of calculating and maudlin. Uh, I think the the lead in it, she puts in just an incredible performance as the mom. The boy in it's good too. There's two boys, one who plays him when he's younger and then age boy. Um, I liked it, man. I, this was like I said, it was. I remember this was a TIFF, and um, it it had a little bit of buzz being a Canadian film. But Anthony Shim is the director. He's, he's Korean Canadian. Uh, but the actress in it, uh, Choi sung Yoon, she plays the mom. What a performance! Really great. Really great. Um, so I'm curious to see what else she's done because she was she was superb in this. Uh, next up was one that I would meant to see since it came out. It's one of those where if you had told me a few years ago I would have been seeing uh, Sorrentino's Hand of God this long after it came out, I would have said, you're lying. I would have seen it the first week it's out. <laughs> but, you know, life gets in the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done that for his last couple films for me, actually. I haven't seen the last couple, this one included.
2: Yeah, so I had really wanted to see this one, but I feel like this was the time. I was going to be in Naples um, in the Amalfi Coast, and, and he's uh, Neapolitan. And it's kind of a coming-of-age film, very personal film for him. Ironically, both the films I watched in the way on my trip were both very personal films from the directors and writers. Um, this one's good, but for me... It meanders a little too much at times. Um, I know some of that can be sort of contemplation and so forth, but
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. I, I have been I've been wrestling with how I truly feel about this one because some of it might be the burden of expectation, which is unfair to the film.
1: <laughs> She's went to another room to go bonkers. <laughs> the squirrels must be out. <laughs> yes. Uh- Something is driving her bananas. He's like a 20-pound
2: Ultimate (laughs) Warrior (laughs) coming to the ring. Um, But this was good. But like I said, I just think some of it is a bit of an intersection of burden of expectation for me. And and I'm kind of coloring my perception of the film that way. I still think it's a very good film. But it's a little below probably his last handful of features. I could probably still give it. Like a seven point seven five or something. Just
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. still a darn good score.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, the the acting's great in it. Um, you know, it looks good. It's it's got some of really the sincere, heartfelt moments. It, it feels very Sorentino. I mean, at this point, he's very much um, an auteur.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of settled into his style and stuff. It doesn't look like he's. I I, I would assume he's probably not going to kind of go outside of that world at this point. Yeah, he's getting up there now. I mean, these guys are you know, we've been talking about him now for almost, you know, fifteen years, I guess. So
2: That's right. That's right. But I do want to give a shout out to the actress Luisa Ranieri. Mm-hmm. Sammy. Let's just say the searches would be on. Actually, you need the searches. <laughs> so you know, puts it all on screen for you. There you go. So there's a wonderful kind of coming of age scene with this sort of burgeoning sexuality of the 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 lead in it he has an aunt patrizia who has a penchant for being nude yeah. and some bathing nude on family picnics yeah well That's you do
1: yeah i mean that that could be for that could be awkward well no yes
2: that. and <laughs> the two nephews uh, the whole family there's a great shot where the whole family's on one side of a boat you don't know what they're looking at and they're just <laughs> silent and you can see the the wonder on the boy's face and the camera cuts across and she's sunbathing blissfully not even unaware, just uh, doesn't care just yeah. she's doing her thing she's suntanning completely nude on the other end of the boat and uh, it's kind of a wonderful moment but but man, not to sound crass <laughs> she's a beautiful woman, <laughs> yeah, this was a good one. I liked it quite a bit, um, but like I said, a little bit of a a little bit of a step down for him. I will say this. Our good friend, uh, I'll just say his first name, Carlos. The lead in it looks like his son to me. Ah, yes. So, yeah, if he's listening, yeah. he'll hook it up. Uh, just a couple more quick ones. Uh, f- another one I finally caught up with that I just – I was so – not even embarrassed. Just why haven't I seen this? Uh was Alfonso Coron's Roma, which – Really knocked my socks off. I don't think you've seen this yet, have you?
1: No, never got around to it. Oh, it's great. This happens to me with uh, Oscar type material sometimes. I'll just, uh, I'll be like, well, you know, I need to watch that, and I'll add it to watch list and everything else, and then I just never get around to it till much later. I don't know why.
2: No, I, yeah, it, I know. That's the way it goes. This one's excellent. This lived up to what I'd hoped it would be. This again. This is, I was, I must have been in a very sentimental phase because now that I'm looking at it, the three films I watched back to back to back were very personal looks at, at the director's childhood. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Roma's excellent. It's, it's got, again, an impeccable lead performance. Um, I think she was the first uh, indigenous Mexican actress to be nominated for a lot of hardware come Oscar season, and I want to mention her name because she deserves all the flowers,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Yalitza uh, Paricio, Yes. So everyone, everyone's great in this one, but she's the the quiet heartbeat of the film, and she is a gift on screen. And Cuaron shot this film, and it's, it's shot in this uh, monochromatic black and white. Every frame in this film is just... Beautiful. Yeah.
1: I've seen the stills. Beautiful. The stills
2: are pretty amazing. Oh. It's incredible. It covers a lot of ground. Um, it's on Netflix as His Hand of God. But, you know, doing stuff like this is a slippery slope, right? Um, you try to look at things clear-eyed while also communicating – emotionally, you know, what, what these moments in the film mean to you as a filmmaker. This was kind of a love letter to Coron. He had a nanny growing up, and it's, you know, essentially Yelitza Aparicio is playing that nanny. So, and Roma's the neighborhood he grew up in, I think, in Mexico City. So, really good one. Uh, last two, both French list of shamers for me. Um, Alain, Alain René's uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour. Have you seen this one?
1: I have. I have seen that one.
2: Man, this is a good one.
1: Yeah. No, that's a great one. Obviously. Some would argue it's a great one.
2: <laughs> I would argue it's a great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's really fascinating for me to look at Emmanuel Riva from Amour, the Henneke film.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. She is. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about this.
2: Dude, she's a young woman in this. She's, she's beautiful in a very sort of unique way.
1: Which I just finally watched Amour like a couple years ago.
2: I don't know if I'm ready to watch it again. I think when I was younger. I felt more calloused to emotional things. Now I think it would really hammer me even more.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty rough. Jesus. Between that yeah. and Gaspar Noé's Vortex, both oh, of those man. both of those are pretty rough.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Even though Gaspar's film is is probably his least transgressive, it, it's only transgressive in its filmmaking style. It's sure. not. It's it's very unlike him. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I mean, what I've heard. I, mean, I was like, going to try to check that one out. I just, like I said, I a, great, a chance, but... great performance from Dario Argento. It's just, it's, I mean, really good in the film. Uh, that was not on my bingo card. No, 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 no.
2: wasn't on mine either. <laughs> no, but that's that's what makes it a joy. But uh, Hiroshima, Mon more excellent film. It, it's the kind of film, you know, you watch it and you see things, and I think you really have to put into context that Renee really trailblazed and as a guy who was in The New Wave – was doing things that hadn't really been done before. The way he plays with editing and time and voiceover and kind of deconstructing film language without it ever feeling uh, scholarly or or showy. Mm -hmm. The way he plays with sort of memory and fragments of time really, really well. Uh, I really, really like this film. It'll be probably in my top 10 first-time watches, I think.
1: Nice. This year.
2: Really liked it. And last one... Another one, super ashamed to have never seen Melville's Le Doulot with our guy, man, Belmondo. Belmondo. So I'm pretty sure you've seen this one as well.
1: Uh, yes, I have seen that one. It's been yes. a long time, though. I think I've only seen that once.
2: Again, obvious statement. It's a good one. It's early in Belmondo's run, so he's kind of the young up-and-comer in this, um, Melville, I mean, yeah. What can you say? He's a master. He's a master filmmaker. Um, I have a great this or that that's going to include this film for you um, because it is a little reminiscent to me of another master filmmaker who was just starting to get a lot more creative control over things. So, yeah, I'll save that. But no, good, good, uh, good. Two weeks for me. Not a lot of quantity
1: a lot of quality. Yeah. Yeah. Arrow just put out a Belmondo Dillon film. I'd never seen that. I've always wanted to see uh Borsellino. Oh man. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a yeah. good one, dude. Yeah. We should do that at some point. Yeah. I've never, yeah, I've never seen that one. So uh, you know, those two together and uh, I want to check it out. So we'll do, we'll definitely do that at some point. I've always wanted to see that one with Belmondo, um,
2: uh, Leon Moran priest.
1: Oh yeah. 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 I think I've seen, no, maybe I haven't seen that one.
2: I've always wanted to see that, but I think it's got like a three-hour runtime. So I'm always like,
1: oh, yeah.
2: You I, know. Know, I just I couldn't, but I got to <laughs> make time for it, man. Got to make time for the good stuff.
1: Got to make time for it, man. You got to make time for all films. That's uh, what have you been watching? Uh, not as much. Uh, a few things that I've reviewed on other shows. Um, but. Uh, but that's mostly what I watch. I did rewatch licorice pizza. I was supposed to be on a not a bomb with that one, but I forgot. I couldn't make it. I had too much going on, but I did rewatch that. I still love that. I'm not going to say too much about it. I just, you know, I love it as, as those who know, but I, I got, know. yeah, I got a couple other, a uh, couple other, just a couple here. Um, I checked out the whale. The, Ooh. Okay. The, the Brendan Fraser, Darren Aronofsky, uh, film you saw this right didn't you watch this one i did Doesn't yep. matter if we watched it as a family and yep. it was like I'll, I'll let you talk about it first and mm. i'll just
2: i want to hear what you have to say so
1: i quite liked it um same mostly mostly though it, it's really it is one of these type of films that's centered on a performance it and is. brendan Fraser is really really good in the movie uh i mean he's great and so is uh what's her name uh, what's the name of the nurse? I forget her name sometimes. She was in the menu as well, which I liked quite a bit. And uh, I'm blanking on her name right she's, now. She's a great actress. Hong Chow. She, uh, she's so good in both films. Yeah, yeah. so good in both films. Um, I like the, the, those central performances plus Samantha Morton kind of coming in kind of later in the film and really kind of nailing the, uh, the troubled ex-wife. Yep, Morton's a powerhouse man oh she really is yeah she's underrated she's forever and always underrated in my opinion forever
2: so, yeah, yeah. I, I heard just had a great interview with her um on louis thoreau's podcast nice i check it yeah, out it's great and even sadie sink's good in the film i think
1: well so that's that's the issue i have i sadie sink's fine as far as the performance goes i just i i, I guess it's there for the the uh the need for the drama but her character drove me crazy uh, for most yes. of the film and, and she has a great moment and don't get me wrong without spoiling anything or, anything, you know, she, she, her come up and says acting in the film really kind of comes around toward the back end. It really kind of saves the whole thing. And I understand what Arnofsky was going for, but at times, um, you know, it just felt needlessly cruel. And, and then, uh, you know, it just kind of drove me nuts and, uh, it, it's just a personal thing, but, sure. but I, at the, at the same time, I, I did quite like the film. I don't think it's perfect. There's no doubt about no. that. It's it's a definitely a one set, you know, maybe you could call it a COVID production, something yeah, like I'm that. Yeah. yeah. But I got to tell you, man, uh, I've always known, and most of us have who love movies, we've always known Brendan Fraser can act. Oh, yeah. Um, He's not always been given the opportunity to do what he does here. Um, you know, they kind of made him a star for a while and then he had a couple bombs and then he just kind of walked away for a little bit and I'm glad to see him and hopefully we'll see him working a lot more because, uh, you know, he's also underrated and I think that's because hey, he, he, you know, he did those big movies. He did the mummy films and stuff like that, but you know, I have a soft spot for the mummy films. They're not great movies, but they're kind of fun, rompy, silly adventures And uh, I kind of enjoy those for what they are. And I've always liked Frazier. And uh, this is really nice to see him in this performance. He does a really good job with the makeup and the bodysuit. And he sells it really well. He has some, um, some comedic moments. And he has moments where you can really see what it's like to struggle with addiction. But it's not an addiction that a lot of people understand. Uh, which is something that I liked. I liked that they show this kind of self-destruction, um, in a different way. You know, it's not drug related and everything else he eats because he's lonely. He eats because he's broken. He eats because of decisions that he made in the past, but mostly he just eats to numb pain and, uh, that helps him get through things. You know, all of us have something that helps us get through some type of pain or some type of trauma in our lives. And, uh, you never really know what that's going to be, but for the whale character here, the Fraser character, it is obviously food. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've met people like this in my life, um, who have issues with stuff like this and, and food in particular. And, and it's interesting to watch them, you know, they'll be really down and stuff. And then, you know, they'll, they'll just pound like, you know, six or seven, you know, candy bars. And, um, I don't judge because, again, you know, uh, you know, I drink beer and and uh, I do other things that aren't healthy. I think all of us have something that we do that we probably, maybe shouldn't, and probably do it a little too often or maybe a little more than we want to. The difference is um, in this film, it's dealing with addiction as destruction, and it, you know, it shows. And you can kind of see, I think, what Aronofsky does well is you can see the trauma that has affected everybody. The daughter's been affected, the, mo- the mother's been affected, the ex-wife. Everybody's been affected. But not only that, he introduces another character who's went through a traumatic experience with his family. And uh, really, the movie's about forgiveness, ultimately, right? And uh, it's very Catholic, very Jewish, very Catholic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, is not surprising coming from Aronofsky, who... Honestly, at this point, I've just come to the conclusion that he's he's just a religious filmmaker. <laughs> yeah,
2: he does deal in faith.
1: He deals in faith a lot, doesn't he? I mean, just you think about all of his films, I mean, he's really just dealing with faith almost all the time. Be it Christianity, Judaism, or or whatever. He's in some way, you know, Noah's a big Hollywood kind of battle, but it's still a biblical film and even Pi, going back to Pi's first film, which Todd and I reviewed a long time ago, it, there's there's religious allegory there too. So he's really he really is fascinated by that. And, uh, and the, then the theme of forgiveness and, uh, weakness, human weakness, which, you know, is obviously something that I'm attracted to as well. So this did kind of remind me of his, of Requiem for a Dream in some ways. Um, yeah. not as kind of bombastic and as transgressive as that film. Um, but similar to the, what's her name? Ellen Burstyn, uh, Burstyn, uh, character oh, in, yeah, where she's fighting, food addiction in some ways. So, anyway, uh, Rooked, I mean, good film. I don't know if it's a great film, but I do know that it's a good film and I do know that uh, you know, some tears were flowing, baby. Some tears yeah, were flowing.
2: They were, I'll, I'll be honest. This is one of those films like I echo everything you said. Yeah. Um I knew what it was doing. At times it felt sincere but still mm. heavy-handed. Yes.
1: Exact feelings I had. At moments I was like, wow, that was really powerful. And then other moments I was like, Oh, <laughs> But it still got me, man. It's
2: like the moment at the end.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, what an ending. Uh, Everybody you know, said that when I watched it. I was uh, getting text messages and people were saying, oh, that ending. And I'm like, okay, well, just don't say anything. <laughs> Dude, the four of us
2: sat here quietly in the living room, processing it. Yeah. Our youngest is in tears. Um, and we just sat there for about five minutes in silence. And it, again, not to say it's a perfect film. I'd probably give it like seven and a half.
1: Yeah, seven, seven, it might creep into the eight territory for me at times, but yes, okay. it's somewhere. It's somewhere in that seven and a half to eight range. It's right in there. I agree with you. And yeah. the I performance said, from Fraser is like a ten. That's a
2: oh, it's it's an all timer. That's it's a, an all timer. That's it's, a great it, one. It could have very easily devolved into. And the internet is the internet, so there were a lot of memes. But it could have devolved truly into a uh, just a, a satire, just this inadvertent sort of ridiculousness, and it never does. Right, like, he keeps a strong heartbeat. Um, there's a certain grace and a you know a, a dignity and a redemptive arc in this that feels um, very human. Right, and right. Aronofsky is very fixated on that it's it's a
1: very similar arc to the wrestler very different approach yeah but um it is very similar to the wrestler in some ways yeah another uh a different type of self-destruction right
2: but it's the same thing it's yeah. the same thing this yeah. redemptive arc someone who's shot right and
1: uh yeah somebody who made a decision and has decided to stick by this decision to come hell or high water Not in a prideful way. Uh, I think, you know, Randy the Ram is trying to be prideful, but at the same time, he's deep down inside. He's completely broken. Oh, yeah. And he just doesn't know. But it just seems to be that that's what Aronofsky's really interested in. He's interested in that, you know, the decisions we make, you know, and can, can we have forgiveness? At the end of the day, we're human beings and we make decisions. And can we seek forgiveness and can we get it? Can we get that redemption? That's right. It's very interesting to me. No, I agree with you, um, and the only other thing I watched, uh, my son and I stepped out to the movies yesterday. He didn't have any interest in seeing it, but I thought, well, you know, it looks like something we could watch. It's a little science fiction. might be something up his bag. Might, maybe not. I hadn't seen. I still have not seen Star Wars Rogue One, believe it or not. But no, no. Uh, yeah, I just haven't seen it for whatever reason. Uh, but we checked out the creator. Uh, the, uh, new film from Gareth Evans. Ah, yes. I
2: had no idea what this was. None. I get just no idea. And then I like started seeing previews like a few days ago. Yeah. So I still don't really know what it is. So I'm very curious about this.
1: Um, you know what it is, is it's kind of a, just, um, uh, a human allegory with science fiction, um, and a little Aronofsky in a way, a little bit of redemption here, a little bit of those kind of moments and uh, family and, you know, human suffering and human decisions all with a kind of background of science fiction in there, but it's, it's, it's the kind of science fiction. Uh, you might like this. Uh, I mean, I like this film. I want to make sure I say that first, cause it's going to sound like I didn't, but I did. Um, I thought it was really powerful at moments dealing with family and, and, you know, again, redemption and human at humanity. But then there's something about Gareth Evans filmmaking style that is always and it goes all the way back to the first film I saw by him. And I haven't seen Rogue One, but he goes back to the first film I saw by him, uh, the monsters film or whatever, where the two people are walking through the, the landscape and all these big monsters are in the background or whatever. Um, yeah. There's something about his filmmaking that just doesn't really speak to me. And, yeah it doesn't yeah i know what you mean and i don't know and i don't know what it is I, I i i was sitting there watching it and i'm like why is this not there's something about the editing or there's something about his filmmaking that just doesn't speak to me now that being said the performances in this film are great uh john david washington who's you know becoming quickly a he's you know this. a big star yeah he's becoming a yeah. big star now <laughs> Uh, you know, headline movies. Uh, Allison Janney's pretty good here. She does a little bit of very little of her Allison Janney type stuff. She's kind of plays on hardcore military person. And this one's pretty good. Jimmy Chan's good in this. Madeline Yuna Voles, I guess, is the is the child character. Uh, she's pretty good in this. Ken Watanabe coming back and making a really, you know, he's a very intense actor anyway. And he does a really good job in the film. I, I got to mention Sturgill Simpson, who is a. Kentucky guy and a musician. Uh, I only mention him for Jose. Jose, if you're listening, you know why I mention him because <laughs> Jose's got a thing for him now. But uh, and then, of course, perennial, uh, perennial, not perennial, perennial, bad guy, pepperonial, uh, bad guy, Mark Manchacha. He have good mustache, great mustache and almost uh-huh. always plays a heavy. He's kind of become a modern like go to for the heavy. He he's really good at it for the record. Uh good actor. Um but I, I would like to see him get I don't know if he could, I don't know if he'll ever be able to get out of those type of roles, but man, I hope he does. He's really good uh, he's a really good actor. Um the cast is really nice. I like the way they shot it. It feels in some ways like a strangely like a Vietnam allegory. Like mm-hmm. way past Vietnam allegory time. And, uh, at times it just, because it's set in like this kind of new Asia area and oh, yeah. uh, it just feels that way, rice patties and, and things like that. It just has a really strong feel and it has an interesting theme in that humanity, some parts of humanity have come to accept artificial intelligence almost in a human nature. And, you know, there's, there's scenes where you have artificial intelligence raising, regular children and children being attached to that artificial intelligence the same way they're attached to a dog or attached to a cat and those things are really interesting but underneath it all it's really just kind of a action movie sort of with some family elements and for whatever reason again that's the stuff that i don't know gareth edwards to me he just he can't handle that. Um, his Godzilla is a good example. It just felt empty, yeah, uh, to me. And, and this this does a little bit too. Now, I, I did like this, and my son and I liked it quite a bit. Uh, we thought it was well done. This thing's only cost eighty million dollars to make. You even watched the trailer, and you would not even guess that it only cost eighty million dollars to make.
2: Wow, that's for a film that seems to be of a certain scope.
1: That's quite impressive. That is that that part. I was kind of blown away by. I knew that going in. And I was kind of blown away by what he pulled off there. So I know Edwards has talent. Again, I haven't seen Rogue One. Some say it's the best of the newer Star Wars films. I just haven't seen it for whatever reason. I don't know. I haven't sat down and watched it. I think I keep waiting for my son to want to watch it because it doesn't feel like something I maybe would watch over and over and over again. So I'm not going to watch it. And then he'd want to watch it and then watch it again. I don't know. I, 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 you run through these weird logic, the rings in your head of why you do things and why you don't, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I need to check it out and see if it's as good as everybody says, but I will say this, he can direct actors, even Godzilla, which I didn't like that film. Uh, I thought some of the acting in it was pretty good. And, uh, I think, you know, he definitely still has a future as a filmmaker. I, I, I just don't know for whatever reason why his films, you know, I don't know, man, we've, we've talked about this over the years, you and I, and so many people that we know we're friends with. Sometimes a filmmaker just doesn't speak to you. And, uh, he's been oh. working since, you know for the last, basically for the history of this podcast, he's been around monsters came out in 2010. We started in, in late 2008. Okay. So he's been working and he did monsters. He did Godzilla. He did rogue one and he did the creator and he's gotten pretty good acclaim for all of those. Um, but, Three of the four that I've seen, I don't know. They just kind of missed the mark for me. So, well, I, I mean, I'm going to check out Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, because I'm a Star Wars fan, but um, I don't know. I, he's like Scott Cooper to me. Does that make sense?
2: It makes total sense. Again, like you said, we've spoken about this, and some filmmakers, whether it's the subject matter, their approach, just doesn't stir the pot or stir the soul. Like you know,
1: Yeah, yeah. and then some completely envelope you like uh, you know paulo Sor- sorrentino but yeah. you know we could talk to 10 people and seven of those people could be like oh man i can't get into sorrentino
2: yeah yeah uh, totally it, well that's the thing yeah is this art's going to move people in different ways and um uh, i'll tell you this if nothing yeah. else i'm thankful for a film like you just said of this scope oh yeah being made a budget
1: dude get not us- only that but i'm thankful for this being an original property original property
2: made for that budget because you know what that means that means that if it can be made for that budget then more creative license and freedom is going to be given to the filmmakers for that budget
1: yeah i want because people
2: nowadays, that's like a
1: yeah that's a low budget really, film nowadays yeah, almost but for, for a
2: hollywood release that's a
1: low budget release well, i would say it's a mid-tier or mid-tier uh, yeah yeah, yeah i would cool. say it's a mid-tier because i mean this past year we've seen multiple 300 million dollar movies which is insane and don't get me it's wrong insane. it's not my money i don't care but it just it just blows my mind that we're spending three hundred million dollars on movies I mean I guess it's I guess it's inevitable, but that's
2: that's Hollywood bloat yeah like, you know you always hear that in interviews like directors coming from uh, working in England or Ireland or Hong Kong they're always like yeah craft services and everything else, and everything's bloat and wait and stop and go and you know it's it's that's the Hollywood thing I think you could make it for less like.
1: But yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. It becomes high stakes poker man when they go so high.
1: And this this also gives me an opportunity to constantly mention that I always always no matter what, no matter how much I do research, no matter how much I <laughs> I try not to. I always get Gareth Edwards and Gareth Evans mixed up. <laughs> I'm in good company, then. <laughs> <laughs> the raid guy? The, yeah, the raid guy and the, the monsters or the Godzilla guy. Yeah. And it doesn't help that, you know, well, first of all, both their first names are Gareth. And second of all, they're both their last names start with an E. I know. So it's so easy to get these two guys mixed up. And they're two totally different type of filmmakers for the record. So, um, well, again, Evan speaks to me more than Edwards, but... Um, I st- Look, Here's here's what I'll say. I, I still have hope that he's going to make a great film. And I do think of the films I've seen, the creator is the best one that he's done. And uh, I would recommend people check this out. It's an original science fiction property. I actually think, Will, you would like this. It certainly looks amazing. And it has some very strong, in my opinion, some very strong Blade Runner vibes. So, oh, wow. So clearly, uh, I think he's going for a little bit of a Blade Runner feel here. And, uh, it, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's it's great. And, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, uh, but man, the, the sound design, if you see this in a the theater, it's going to, it's going to blow you away. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty intense sound wise. So, um, yeah,
2: but I, uh, you've got, you've piqued my interest, man, because looking at the poster and stuff, even though I like John David Washington, I didn't hear anything about this film. Yeah, yeah, I don't keep near to the ground like I once did, but you've really compelled me to want to check this out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very family oriented too. So I know it'll touch you in uh in some ways. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And uh, even though I think it's a little, I think it tries for some things emotionally. And I think it kind of, for me, it kind of missed. I still got caught up and still had a little bit of, you know, hey, there's a little dust in the room. You know, I'm not going to lie. Oh, a little dust in the room, probably in that, probably in that same, in that really in that same whale zone. I didn't think I'd say those two words today Okay, in the whale zone, the whale zone <laughs> in the, in that whale zone. <laughs> I will say that uh, one of my favorite things about the whale, to kind of go back to that, not to kind of beat a dead whale, <laughs> so to speak, but uh, the conflation or the metaphor or the way to work in what I consider to be the greatest work of fiction or arguably the greatest work of fiction ever written Melville's, uh, Moby Dick, uh, the way to work that in, uh, really quite touching and the way they kind of work that in and how, Oh man. Brendan it was. Fra- yeah. Brendan Fraser uh, talks about that being the best book report. And it's just because it's so pure from a child's point of view. Oh man. Yeah. You know. Really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. And, uh, you know, I could probably do a podcast about Moby Dick for, I don't know, 10 years. I, I could talk about that book. So anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, I think that's everything we've watched. Um, I don't know if you got anything else you want to mention or. Um, I got one thing. Oh, yeah. You got something. Yeah, I got something. We got something. <laughs> we got something. <laughs> we got this or that. Let's <laughs> we'll see if I can hit the play button. There we go. all right there we go A little uh this or that uh, i don't uh yeah i'm trying to think if i have anything i don't have anything this week i know that sounds petty folks and i apologize but I, I, I probably look too much into this this or that thing i probably take it way too seriously and that's probably the problem I try to come up with stuff, but
2: it just, you know, I don't know. I'm, Here's the thing. You produce <laughs> yeah. all of our content. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I can
2: <laughs> come up with five
1: this or that. So. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I, I like your logic. I like where your head's at. Yeah, no,
2: you, yeah. Listen, I've done, I've done extended sessions of the editing. And while it gets down to a nice, tight, you know, 45 minutes to an hour sometimes for me because I do the Audacity thing still, still time. So, baby, don't worry if you never come up with one. I got you. That's
1: fine. That's fine. That's good. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, Yeah. I had to. uh, uh, Jose and Justin came on last week, and they wanted to do this or that, and I was so intimidated by coming up with some this or that. So that's funny, (laughs) but I managed to pull. I managed to pull it out. Pull a rabbit out of my hat. Oh. Yeah, I managed to pull it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then I had to go back and say "rabbit out of my hat" because you know, daffy <laughs> Yes. All right, what do you got, man? All Give right, it? we're in spooky season,
2: man. We're in October, so I got a couple for you that are kind of in that realm: Night of the Creeps or Day of the Dead.
1: Ah. Uh. It's funny how these this or that's kinda of play with your head because you hear them and you you know, you hear the first one, you're like, Oh, I already know where I'm going. Then you hear the second one, you're like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute, time out. <laughs> <laughs> time out. So this is probably not going to be the popular opinion, but as time has think, gone on, yeah I've I've really come to love Day of the Dead. I knew you were gonna go that way. I knew you were gonna go that way. I really have come to love it. I really have. When I was a kid, I thought Day of the Dead was a huge letdown. Yeah. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work for me. As I've gotten older and I've watched it a handful of times since I saw it originally on VHS so many years ago, Day of the Dead is quickly, I mean, it's my probably second, well, it's definitely my second favorite Romero dead film. And uh, it might be my second favorite Romero film altogether.
2: It is a good one.
1: Uh, I just think, you know, some of the stuff he pulls off in that one, some of the gore and some of the character beats, and even the what could be seen as clumsy bub, the the uh kind of pet zombie. Yeah. What he pulls off with that, talk about something that's weirdly emotional.
2: <laughs> no kidding.
1: And it works. So I love Night of the Creeps. We've reviewed that on the show, I'm pretty sure we have. And we both that's love it. Good- Oh, yeah, no doubt. It's it's one of the greats. I mean, seriously, it's one of the great horror films of the 80s. It really is. But man, Day of the Dead is, is so underrated. And I would call it one of the great horror films of the 80s, too. And uh, so that's what I'm going to go with. I knew you would. I had a hunch. Uh, I love Day of the
2: Dead. I do also agree that it's underrated. I think it needs to be reassessed by people. As much as all of the films have a, a sense of doom and hopelessness about them, this one really feels hopeless and cruel. And
1: yeah, yeah, there's something about it. again, I think it's that dynamic of trying to trying to tame the zombie, uh, trying to bring humanity back to a world uh, ran run over by zombies, and then realizing that you know there's no hope. Lots of pieces of shit in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what a great performance from, uh, was uh, is it Joe? Pul- it's not Polito. Uh, I can't remember no, his name. No, no, I know the guy you
2: mean. What a great scenery chewing heavy.
1: Oh, yeah. He's so good. At it.
2: <laughs> his death has been homaged, yeah. mimicked in so many films.
1: Yes, it has. And it's uh, honestly, out of all the, the zombie deaths and um, Romero films, that might be the best one.
2: A good one because you're really waiting for his comeuppance.
1: Yeah, you can't wait.
2: Yeah. Oh man, he is such a piece of shit in the film.
1: He is. Yeah, he really is. Still to this day, it's still one of the great like Oh, Joe Pilato. Joe Pilato, okay, yeah. It's still yeah. one of the great like shithead performances of all time.
2: Totally is. Totally is. Um gonna go with the two Davids on this one. Okay. Jerome
1: or Blue Velvet? Uh, hmm. Years ago would have went Blue Velvet pretty easily because of its perversity. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think through my mind because both of these films are perverse. They're, I was both, yeah, they're both very perverse. It's interesting that when you think about Cronenberg and Lynch that um, they're both so perverse in a way. I, I, I don't know. Or are they are they really perverse or are we just that chaste? I guess is the real question, right? Uh, is, there, is there an honesty? In
2: yeah. Presentation of perversity as, a, as an honest human?
1: Yeah. Are they just exposing how we really feel, but we just kind of hide behind civil and civic duties? I don't know. I think that's where it's at. I think that is where it's at. And I think that's why those two filmmakers have always been and always will be talked about. Yeah. Um, I think Cronenberg obviously is the more entertaining of the two filmmakers. Lynch is definitely, and and when I say this, I know everybody. I mean, he can make a straightforward film. You you like I said a few months back. You guys watched one of my favorite films of his, which is completely. I mean, it even says it in the title the, the straightest film he may have ever made. Oh yeah. Um, he can do. I mean, he's so talented. He could. He could probably make a movie uh, while he's uh, taking a nap. Yeah. But he is an acquired taste of all acquired tastes. I mean, he uh, tastes taste. He is a, uh, he is un- an enigma is the way I would put him. Um, I think as time's gone on. I think I like video more though. I think I like it more for its transgressiveness. Not that blue velvet isn't transgressive. Jesus. It's very transgressive, but I don't know. There's something about it, but I will say this. I'm, I'm going to go video But if I had to narrow it down to performances, I still think Isabella Rossellini in Blue Velvet is is it's one of the braver performances I think I've ever seen in a movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about, you know, when you hear the sports adage, uh, leaving it all on the field. Oh, yeah, man. She leaves it all on the field in that movie. (laughs) She sure does. Like, I felt so bad for her. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing performance. It really is.
2: It is. I'll be honest. I'll be very forthright. I, I could probably give you the opposite answer tomorrow. Yes. These films are very different but in some ways like you'd said they are similar in some regards and I think both filmmakers uh, have a high level, a high quality uh, in their creative output. Oh yeah. Um, both have had that That honesty to pull back the layers and and look at things pretty clear eyed. We
1: are one day we are really gonna miss David Cronenberg and David Lynch. Yeah, we are really gonna miss those two guys.
2: Two gifts, man. Two gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, Surprisingly, I think I'm gonna go against my fellow countrymen on this one and go Blue Velvet. And again,
1: that's interesting. interesting. That that really is interesting.
2: I don't know. I, I think both are excellent films. I, we've covered are we, are we both in the
1: show. Uh, Blue Velvet, I think you did with uh, Red Waffle Paul, oddly. he He's a big fan of that film. Yeah. Big. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a big fan of it as well. Uh, but I think we talked about it in the early days of the film, of this podcast. And I think you talked about how, you know, uh, you, you know as we often say, uh, I think you had said, I'm not a big Lynch guy. no. No. And, uh, I, I mean, and we we've call did, and man, we've covered at this point, we've almost covered all of Cronenberg's work.
2: Yeah, we did, but well, we did do video drum, right? We did do video drum. Yes. Yeah. So we've done both these in the show. So yeah, it is interesting because I do love video drum and personal politics aside and so forth. I think James Woods is a tremendous presence on screen. Oh, he's,
1: yeah, it took me a second to realize where he was going with that. But then I remembered, yeah, James Woods, I, you know, God bless all, you, James Woods, but he's, he's lost his mind. He, he, a tremendous actor, <laughs> tremendous dirt bag. His, his, I don't even, I don't even know if his politics register on a, a scale of, oh, that, man. I don't even, if they make sense. No, so, they don't. They're they're really bizarre. But anyway, that's neither here oh, nor there.
2: But but yeah, but but tremendous actor, tremendous presence. Um okay, couple more. Uh gonna go with an actor one, keep it en français. Lino Ventura or Yves Montan?
1: Um this one might be a little easy. I like Yves Montan. Uh liked him in uh, this film we watched this week, although he he's the star of the film, but I don't I I think he might only be the star because he might be the biggest name in the film. Mm-hmm. um but i'm gonna go ventura i like his face more and i like his presence more yeah yeah and that's the that's the best way to put it uh i just think he he feels more man of the people than montan does for whatever reason maybe it's the good looks i don't know uh, although ventura you know good looking in his own right but I i just think he he feels more like a natural actor to me
2: yeah, I'm kind of with you. I love both. I love both actors. You know, we don't talk. And I, I know as much has been written about the French New Wave and stuff. But in our little corner of the universe, I feel like there's so many incredible actors, like the two I just mentioned, that we don't, we don't give enough flowers to that are just dynamite. Um, didn't we do that Montal Eurocrime or Police Python 357 or something? Didn't we do that one on the show or no?
1: I feel like we might have. I guess I can look and see. Was that the I title? Think- was that the title, or did it have a I different title? It had
2: a different title. Yeah, hey, this, oh, I was right, man. Those the fish oil works. Yeah, there you go. Like three fifty-seven.
1: Yeah, I remember the three fifty-seven oh. number.
2: I feel like we did cover it, man.
1: I feel like we did too, but maybe I'm thinking of uh, you know so many other things. Uh, Beat seventy-one. There's so many films we have with numbers in the titles.
2: There's that one L. That other French 80s cop film that was really good. Uh, yeah.
1: L-371? Uh, something like that.
2: Yeah. But what a cast in that one in uh, Police Python. It's Yves Montan, Simone Signore, Stefania Sandrelli. Anyway. We've I, done
1: I, some I Yves Montan films. I just don't yeah. – you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you.
2: No. But I'll tell you what. I'm also Ventura – For me, he is just an absolute powerhouse in Army of Shadows, um, which is an all-time favorite of mine. So it's hard to knock him off that perch. I'm going to go Ventura. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go one more. I'm going to keep it French, and I'll see if the other two I had for next week. Okay. And I'll add to that. All right. Le Doulot or The Killing?
1: Hmm. Kubrick's The Killing, yeah, correct. Okay, so many movies and films and stories called The Killing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It does come up. Uh, I feel like there was a recent film called The Killing. There was a TV show called The Killing. It probably was. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go The Killing, uh, and this strictly goes to my love of Stanley Kubrick, and. I'd say, I don't know on this or that, so if you'll ever be able to stump me on anything anti-Kubrick. I say that and you may have already done it, but the truth is, I don't know if you will. I'm going to try to find one. <laughs> now now I've that's given you a nice. uh, a task, yeah.
2: A task. Uh, every week we're going to have one. No, I, I'm with you. You and I have been very forthright. I think that, you know, gun to my head, I had to say one guy that's mastered the medium. Uh, it's probably Kubrick for me. Uh, I don't think Kurosawa is far behind or, you know, some of the obvious ones. Right. And so forth. But but to me, it's it's King Kubrick for
1: sure. But, um... Hmm. (laughs) You you think so?
2: (laughs) Am I eliminating recency bias here? Um... (laughs) I'm going to go with The Killing as well. Oh, nice. I, I like The dulot I think it's good. It's got some good twists and turns. And you know, the film's, I want to say it's like 1962. It's 60 years old. And it still twists and turns in ways that I didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. So it's a good one. But uh, yeah, I got to go with The Killing. It's just that end always gets me in The Killing, man. It just It's just the perfect, absurd, fateful ending.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noir. Yeah, I mean it's it's the ending that has to happen. It just it's 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 one of those endings. <laughs> it's like this yeah. is what has to happen. This is the inescapable fate. Yes. Yeah. This is what you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's true. I mean it's true. It's just it's 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 a great. And I think that's what noir. It has to have endings like that. It has to have endings where who wins? Well, guess what? Nobody. Yeah, to all of you. (laughs) Nobody wins. Yeah. I think what I like about that so much in that film, though, is that uh, you really feel the work that's been put into it. And because of that, the ending has that much more impact.
2: Yeah, you're right. I think that's a great point. Like, you feel the weight of all the work that goes in. It doesn't feel like some breezy ocean's heist, which is almost fun along the way to plan. Mm -hmm. you feel this one and uh needless to say goes a certain way
1: yeah it does all right so that is this or that as always thanks will for chiming in and making this or that work every week (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and uh we're going to take a short break we're going to come back and we're going to discuss uh state of siege from 72 we'll be back right after this We'll uh-huh. That might be stuck in your head the rest of the day.
2: <laughs> I wonder if Yves Montong has ever danced to that song.
1: I, I want to feel like I. I hope he did. I hope he did. I hope he did. That song is it, it is is funky. It is man. It's got a nice groove to it. I like it quite a bit. Um, and literally just thought of it like two, ten, two minutes ago.
2: <laughs> Amazing, nice pull, man.
1: Yeah, nice one. Uh, yeah, good, the uh, I, I'm gonna add it to my. I don't own that album, so I'm gonna add it to my. Stuff so I can, it'll come up on my car every now and then. I can just be riding down the street. Put me yep. in a state. State of shock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So here we are. State of siege. Um, this movie's kind of been on our, it, it, well, it's not been on our radar since the beginning, but it's been on our radar for like the last two or three, four weeks because <laughs> we'll picked it a long time ago. And so I've I've kind of been thinking about this movie quite a bit, Um, even though I just watched it this past week. Uh, State of Siege 1972, original title Ete de Siege, Ete de Siege, I guess. Eta. Eta. Eta de Siege. There there we go. Uh, Directed by Costa Gavras, using the interrogation of a U.S. counterinsurgency agent as a backdrop, the film explores the consequences of the struggle between Uruguay's government and the leftist Tupamaro guerrillas. I'd be forthright in saying that Costa Gavras is one of these filmmakers who clearly reads more current events than I ever did. Same. And knows more about politics than I probably care to ever know. And uh, I just want to get that out of the way first. So because we're going to talk about this film probably mostly for its genre elements because I don't know a not, a, 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 I don't know much.
2: about the geopolitics, it. especially 50 years ago, right? Like yeah. you can...
1: I couldn't tell you anything about Uruguay. I didn't even know Uruguay had. I mean, I guess every country does, but I didn't even know they had a problem um, because I just didn't know. I'm just going to be forthright and say that. So, Yeah. No, but we'll – so
2: we have some friends, Ty, Alex, some guys that are really heady, and this is stuff they're probably familiar with, some of the nuances of the geopolitical landscape uh, at the time. But we'll do our best to comment on some of those things, but mostly from a, a strictly
1: film perspective. Yeah. Uh, this one stars Yves Montan, as we just talked about, uh, singer, songwriter, actor, suave, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. to say the least. Uh, Renato Salvatore, also a bit suave in some ways. Speaking of... Uh, two live-
2: um, yeah. Tuscan-born Frenchmen, yeah, ironically.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, talk about... Uh, we I think you kind of joked around about live like a cop, die like a man. Or, or is it freehand for cop? He's in one of those two. I can't remember which Uh, one it is. I want to uh, say it's Live Like Cop. I think. Yeah, one of those two. And uh, an actor who's kind of become a bit of a cult actor uh, for me over the years. I haven't seen enough of his work, but every time I see his face, I always think it's quite striking. And that's uh, O.E. Hase. Hase? Yeah, I don't know if that's Haas. It might be Haas, because he is German. So Hase. Yeah, Hase, maybe. Just a slight. (laughs) Yeah, he's a man. He's got he's got great eyes. And he's got great gravitas. Yeah, he does. He comes into a room and you kind of know he's there. Yeah. I've only ever seen him that I can think of in a film called Lulu, which is kind of a My Fair Lady riff uh, that I can, that's thats all I can think of off the top of my head. Now, Renato Salvatore, I've seen him in lots of Italian films, but it's funny. There's one film he's in that I've thought about picking for the show, but I kind of went away from it after Bartolucci, gotten some trouble with some of the things he said and some of the stuff with the me too movement and everything else with blast tango in paris and i was like people think that's controversial does anybody did anybody ever see luna and uh i thought about picking luna but i was like you know what i don't don't know what we'd have to say about luna (laughs) (laughs) except that we were in uncomfortable (laughs)
2: yes
1: (laughs) and for those who haven't seen luna uh yeah just I'll, i'll let you look up the plot synopsis and you uh you tell me if you're interested in watching it or not. Um, it's uh, definitely a mo- uh, it's definitely a movie they could only make in the 70s and in Europe, probably. I don't know Isn't
2: if you- that a good statement.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that uh, I don't know that you can make that movie now anywhere. Uh, yeah. Anyway, all right. Um, so you picked this one. Uh, it's on the Criterion Channel. I think Criterion put it out on disc, if I'm not mistaken.
2: They did. They put it a nice. Uh- nice version of this
1: and uh that that criterion cover by the way i love the basic red and black cover but Mm -hmm. man that criterion cover is amazing i love that thing that is awesome i love that hand coming up through the jacket to the the profile montan with the the gun that's uh, that's amazing
3: i I didn't i
1: I didn't even know that cover existed until you posted that you were watching and i was like whoa where'd that cover come from (laughs)
2: I love that cover because I think that cover has, a, 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 and I'm sure, a, an intended duality. Yes, it does. Right? So I really like it, yeah.
1: So here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm going to get into it here because you picked this, so I'm going to lead on it. Again, I don't know much about the politics of the time. I don't know much about what was going on. But I do know that when you see really good filmmaking, you see really good filmmaking. and you- And the first 10 or 15 minutes of this, I'd be amazed if most folks would not get caught up in it pretty quick. Mm -hmm. It is really well done. It's a movie kind of told out of sequence, but that none of that matters because what you're really in the hands of here is a a gentleman who can just flat out make movies. And although I don't think Gavras ever, I mean, he is a master filmmaker and I don't think he ever really reached really high highs in America. I know he made a couple of American films. I remember seeing mad city and, and a couple others. Everything was always kind of political for him. Yeah. But I, it seems like he had a, like a three film run where he was just kind of, just kind of nailing it one after the other. Oh, big time. And uh, Z is in the middle of that.
2: Um, That is as good as it gets in film.
1: Yeah. He, uh, he's still alive, right? I'm I'm pretty sure he's still, maybe, maybe he is dead. I don't know. No, he's alive. Oh yeah, he well yeah, he just made a film four years ago. He's ninety years old. Adults in the room. He just made, which I didn't see. But he's made quite a few films actually in the two thousands, and I didn't even know this.
2: You believe that in his eighties still still making them, man?
1: Yeah, I made. He made a film called Amen, a film called The Axe, a film called Eden Is West, a film called Capital. Which I feel like Capital, I may know a thing or two. Well, that's got uh, yeah, that's got Gabriel Byrne in it, so.
2: What's crazy is he made Mad City with Hoffman and Travolta.
1: Yeah. So I went to the movies and saw that. And I remember telling the story on another podcast recently that folks were like, why are you going to see that? And I'm like, well, it's Costagophorus. And they looked at me like I was insane. So, you know, that, that just tells you everything, but the, they don't, they have no idea who that is. Um, no. he made, okay. So Z the confession, which is actually also a really good film. If you haven't oh, seen that. And yeah. yeah. State of siege. And then he goes on to make Special Section, which I've never seen, but I've heard it's really good. Woman Light, Missing, which is actually quite good. I quite like Missing. Yep. Uh, Betrayed, which is actually quite good. I think that was a bomb. I think that was a uh, Deborah Winger and Tom Berenger. That's a good film, though.
2: It's funny. He came over and I made it might have been a financial decision. You can never begrudge someone.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs>
2: <But> <laughs>
1: they could come over the- here and make one film and retire. Yeah. (laughs) So you can't ever begrudge that.
2: (laughs) But it's funny because he is, you know, very artistic, politically minded filmmaker. Um, and then he makes stuff like Betrayed, and you know, and comes and and does stuff over here almost as like a gun for hire for making sort of mid level uh, or mid like budget, um, not mid level, mid budget uh, sort of adult Hollywood fare. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I really liked his. his film uh, Music Box the one where Jessica Lange I think is a uh, uh a lawyer and she comes to find out her father or something was tied up in Nazi uh war crimes
2: so I've never seen it but I can tell you this quick glance Joe Esther Haas wrote it yeah Lange Armin Mueller-Stahl Frederick Forrest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a good film. directing I mean that sounds plus look at the other cast members like Lucas Haas and yeah. Mike Rooker it's a good movie it's a good oh, movie wow. Sounds good, man. Yeah. i to add it to my watch list yeah. for need, post October.
1: Yeah, yeah. I need to, he's got some other stuff in here, too, that's kind of fascinating. It looks like, did do a documentary? Is this a, no, no, it's not a documentary. Max von Sydow, is this Lumiere and company?
2: Oh, I, it could be like a biopic. Could
1: be. I, I don't know. No, no, no. It's 40 international directors were asked to make a short film using the original cinema, cinema cinematograph invented by the Lumiere brothers. That's interesting. I'd like to look at that.
2: That is and music box has been added to the watch list, buddy.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm definitely going to check out some of these two thousands films. So he, I didn't even know he was still work. I mean, I knew he made, I knew he made mad city, which was right before 2000. And I knew he made something in the two thousands, but then I thought he passed away and, uh, I didn't know he was, you know, he's got one, two, three, four, five films in the, in the two thousands. And, uh, I have not seen a one and they're all rated on IMDb as a six or higher.
2: Which that late in your career is pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, well, even being on IMDb at six and a a six or higher for five films in a row, (laughs) that's pretty. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Anyway, let's get into the film here proper. But yeah, the the filmmaking is what caught me up in this right from the get go. Now, the film is mostly silent for a good chunk of the beginning, which is something that I absolutely love, as you know, and I think they he does a really good job with that here in the beginning, but. Once the film, once the kidnapping takes place of Ismanton, he's a he's a U.S. kind of consulate, I guess, in the Uruguayan government over there to consult and help.
2: They have a fixer, and
1: yeah, and it kind of creates a militant state, or he's involved in helping create this kind of militant state, this martial law kind of type thing that evidently is going on in Uruguay and France, and the French are involved, and it's. <sighs> I get lost in a lot of that. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. Like a lot of Costa Gavras films, when he starts, when the stuff starts coming out that's very deep, political stuff, I start to get lost. And this is where I sometimes struggle with him. I think he's a great filmmaker. I have no doubt. But where I do sometimes struggle with him is sometimes, I don't think he's talking down to his audience, but I think he is talking above his audience's head sometimes. And yeah sometimes i think he forgoes entertainment for for lack of a better word for preaching
2: yeah i agree i think there's a certain um there's a certain level of wanting to put out his politics which i'm fine with i, I, I mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah I'm yeah
2: him. he has every right to do that um and Mileage is going to vary how much that's going to impact the viewer, uh, and their engagement. I don't want to say entertainment because I think he's fine to not necessarily entertain and he wants to engage. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, people who are into sort of geopolitics and yeah, and stuff like that, they're going to be pretty engaged, right? Like he's.
1: Yeah. He definitely
2: <clears throat> he definitely doesn't hold you by the hand.
1: I think the the issue I always have is he he has the ability to be well, he doesn't have the ability. He is a great filmmaker. He knows how to use the form. I think the problem I always have with his films if I have a problem with his films is that they almost like hit pause from the filmmaking to give you a ton of exposition. Right. And sometimes that's good but sometimes it's not so good. And in this film, there's a few moments where it just stops and there's these very long conversations and they're great. And I I don't want to sound like some kind of simpleton here. Who's not saying he's not saying anything important or anything like that. I know he is, but it's the way with which he tells the story that I think he's such a masterful filmmaker that he could do a lot of the exposition just by showing things. And he does that a lot in this film. It's just in this film, maybe more than even Z or any of the other films I can think of that I've seen by him. It feels like in this one, it's like they're very hard stops. It's like masterful filmmaking. Great. uh, The editing. Watch how this camera moves. Watch this. Watch that. And then stop. I got to deliver all this dialogue. And now we're going to go back to the moving of the camera and the, you know, the pace and building the tension and all that stuff. And then stop. Now we got to explain all this. so yeah, yeah. that's how it felt now in saying that i still think this is a very 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 good film uh and i think you got to be in the mood for this kind of thing i think that maybe the best way to explain this movie his it was his son right roman roman garvis is his, uh, yep. his son I, yep. I think a good example of this is the he when we did athena he knows that he has to entertain you At the same time, while he's kind of telling you about politics. He has to
2: satisfy producers, even if they're going to give him mostly free reign. He does have to give some
1: practical engagement. This one just feels more like, you know, I got a little bit of power in my hands now. I'm going to show people some things that are taking place and everything else. Uh, And you got to be in the mood for that. You got to be in the mood for that. But I did think about Athena when I watched this and thought about, you know, how the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? with uh Athena's a totally different world of camera movement but there is still a lot of camera movement and story told here visually especially in that first 10 or 15 minutes that's just masterful uh that this is really well done oh man yeah big time i think this might be and i'm pretty sure i'm right about this this might be our first film with electrocuted genitalia
2: um <laughs> Uh, It might be, I'll tell you, you know know what, you know what that scene reminded me of kind of the cold observational cruelty reminded me of Sallow.
1: You know, it's weird you say that because that's what I thought of too. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's the position of the person's body, uh, the way that, that nude person is sitting there. I don't know if it's because there's an audience for the cruelty. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it certainly brought that to mind and uh yeah the inhumanity in the scene of people just watching somebody be electrocuted um the genitalia for the record is it's a very quick cut but clearly you can tell he's being electrocuted on his genitalia so um i don't know if that bothered me as much as the tongue or the teeth the teeth one bothered me quite a bit i think there
2: was a I, the, all, all of it bothered me yeah it was, it
1: was quite oh. repulsive
2: it was, you know, I think the thing that works best about it for me is the nudity and seeing the full frontal nudity gives me a real sense of vulnerability. Yeah, and really, yeah. it 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 impacted me because of that. Like, it really felt heavy.
1: Yeah, I, and you know, the movie essentially is a is a is a it is a siege movie, but not in the sense of what you think. It's basically a kind of an insurgency film a guerrilla film, uh, for lack of a better word. You have this group of folks who are going to kidnap this consultant who they feel is responsible for a lot of the militant kind of rule that they've been going through. There's a lot of violence. The violence is very matter-of-fact, which is troubling. Um, But that always works, and it seems like Europeans are much more easy about putting that on camera than we are, probably because they've kind of seen more of that, at least in their history, than we have. Um, and violence is uh, the way it plays out. But the film is very dense in what it's trying to tell you about the circumstances. And I feel like what the movie, for me, if it's missing anything, there's a wife character that kind of, for lack of a better word, almost disappears from the movie in some ways.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we get a great sense of tragedy from a family perspective mm-hmm. in Z mm-hmm. with the right. Pappas character. Right. And I, to give that 10 minutes would have added even more of an emotional anchor. Right.
1: And I, I don't know. I don't know why they decided to drop that. And even Yves Montan, who is the star of this film. He's not really in the movie that much. Um, I mean, I guess he is, but he never really feels like he's in the movie. It feels like Hase is, he feels like he's in the film more than Montan in a lot of ways. And it feels like definitely that Salvatore, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Salvatore. Um, uh, I mean, not Salvatore, Salva- Salvatore. Yeah. Renato Salvatore. It Renato feels like, Sal- he's, yeah. yeah, it feels like he's a huge part of the movie. Uh, he is in it quite a bit. Yeah. And he's great in the movie. He is and, great. And what, what's kind of interesting about the film is like a lot of these, and also in a smaller part, uh, Jean-Luc Bideau, who we didn't mention in the kind of cast when we kind of talked about it, he kind of plays good. the leader of the kind of guerrilla insurgency and there's that great scene I think it's a great scene. There's that great scene on the bus where he's interviewing kind of like all the co-captains and yep. basically getting votes and uh, it's just the matter of factness of the whole thing and the weight on his shoulders and he just looks like he's beat up he just looks like he's you know he's gotten in over his head uh, and there's a yes. lot of moments like that with characters in this film where it feels like everybody is just so downtrodden and tired. even Montan, who's a good looking kind of dashing leading man. Classic kind of. Yeah. He just feels yeah. beat up and worn down by the reality of politics and. Machine, right? Yeah. yeah. And like the he's. The cogs. Yeah. The, yeah. The cogs. Yeah. I mean, these, these, these people are all kind of in that. And even the, the Carlos Ducas character, the OE he, he's he's trying to get down to the bottom of things. But even he's kind of, even though he thinks he knows, he's still kind of repulsed by the whole thing and what takes place and there's these kind of great scenes in the underground and these kind of great scenes with the the group but the group is huge the the, one of the things i will say about this movie is the gorilla group and this is huge so you really only have a couple faces you can kind of identify with because there's so many people and so many great faces for the record
2: oh man so many great faces from the top of the, the the credits right on down and I like that you mentioned that weariness because I think that when we look at both sides of the coin here, um, both groups just feel completely worn down by everything and the, the weight of it and the just the, perpetual struggle. And there isn't really any kind of moral or, or virtuous hand-wringing. Um, it's presented very matter-of-factly, much like the killing and everything else, uh, the torture. Everything's very matter-of-fact in this film. And there's almost a... A, a cold, not even cold, an observational approach to a lot of the stuff we're seeing. Um, and I think it's, it's quite effective because at that moment when Bidoes on the bus, it's funny. They spend years planning things. Yeah. Presumably. Right. And everything pretty much goes according to plan. And guess what? You still don't win. No, nope. there are no real, win. like it just, it's, Care for what you wish for, because at that point, you're 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 stuck between a rock and a hard place. They are as a, as a as agents looking to be agents of change, effectively in their country. Um, and <laughs> no matter what they do, the end result is not what they could have forecast.
1: Well, it gets into some good questions too, because you know, obviously, the word terrorist is a very dirty word, especially in North America at this point uh, because, you know, of recent attacks and things, but, you know, terrorists can also be seen as, and I'm not, I'm not saying that any of this behavior is good behavior. I would definitely not say that, but I mean, they can also be seen as revolutionaries.
2: It's depends on what side of the history you're on. It depends. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Exactly. Some people are going to say, Oh, Antifa, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it depends on what side of, the coin you're on. It depends on who comes out on top because they, as they, the old adage goes, they write the history books. So,
1: right. So it's yeah. very, it's very complicated, right? I mean, it's very not. There's no easy answers here because what you okay. got is human beings fighting for what they believe in. So, because,
2: yeah, I don't feel that. Um, I'll tell you what. I think it's very obvious what Gavris's political leanings are, but I don't think they demonize Montan or. By and large, the people in power. I, I I think that they're they look at themselves as maybe a necessary evil in, in some ways for um, uh, uh, to to prevent chaos and and to keep structure and things. I think you know it does tilt maybe a little more left leaning, but it certainly. Isn't as heavy-handed as some left-leaning political filmmakers
1: would go. Right, I mean the revolutionaries slash terrorists slash guerrillas, however you want to phrase it, uh, agents of change. You know, you can you can take out whatever slant you want to, but this is an age-old human trait. I mean, there's always going to be people who are not going to like change, or who want more change than what they're being offered, or feel like they're being taken advantage of um you see a lot of this in even America now even in America right now you see a lot of this with kind of a new stance on you know the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer the divide beginning just getting ever so big mm-hmm. and you have to wonder at some point when does that break when does that when does that change when does that uh, when do people start to act out on that mm-hmm. um, you know in desperate, times desperate situations desperate people do desperate things and you have to wonder about that and uh it's always kind of there it's always kind of there there's always uh a group a small group that are living the divine life and then there's uh, a huge population just getting by and uh you have to wonder about these things is this is this the one human trait that uh you know, as much as I want to believe that one of the great human traits is love and and care and creation and art and all these things, sometimes I wonder if one of the other great human traits isn't, you know, uh greed and destruction and, and all these negative things. I mean, these things, you know, control is one, too. You know, the, the, it's just it's it, it just kind of blows my mind how throughout history, we kind of repeat ourselves over and over and over again. It's, it's kind of blows me away uh, that, you know, at this point, even in our civilized world, uh, all around the world that we still can't feed everybody and provide everybody with stuff is, it, it just, it, it kind of blows my mind to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, no, for- it, just, it just does. It blows my mind. And I know there's a lot more to it than that. I'm not that naive. I really am not, but Oh, of course. I just but I I just feel like we should be able to get past things and all move toward one goal. <laughs> I don't know how we can't do that still to this day.
2: So Buddy, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you one
1: hundred percent. Yeah. It's just like, it kind of blows my mind. But anyway, it then, but then, you know, once you start peeling back those layers of that onion, you start to realize why that happens. You got these people who want this, these people who want that. I would like to have a little bit more of this than these people deserve. Yada, yada, yada. It comes down to some very, very, very basic, uh, vices and greed is, is certainly there. And almost always when it comes to politics, there's greed or somebody is winning somewhere else and somebody else is affected by that. So. And and Gavris has got a whole career based on that kind of stuff. And uh, this film is is part of that. And I think the acting in the film is all great. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in the movie that's kind of out of place. Uh, Not a lot of big name actors here, unless you're a a big fan of maybe film history or, you know, you watch a lot of European films like we do. Um, You're probably not going to know a lot of these faces, but everybody's really, really good in the film. I can't think of anybody really that the performance is off. Uh, I wish we would have spent more time with some of the other gorillas than the, um, than just the one or two that we get, but I am happy to have those moments too, because it shows the other side of the coin, which Gavris is really good at doing. And, uh, he, you know, even his son did that with Athena, right? He gave us, you know, both sides of the equation, the cop and the, and the, uh, the, the person that is struggling against authority. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that's what he does really well. And uh, I think this film is is it's very, very solid. I just don't know. I just got to be honest with you. I don't know how entertaining the movie is. Um, I want to say Most- that. I think it's thought-provoking. And I think it's very well made. And I think movie buffs will get entertainment out of all that stuff. But And I don't know if this makes sense, but I don't know if the average Joe... I don't know if they're going to ream a lot of information out of this does that make sense
2: uh makes makes total sense um makes total sense
0: yeah
1: and i I don't and and i don't mean that in any kind of slight toward somebody who loves star wars movies or comic book movies or horror movies or whatever i don't mean that in any way i'm just saying this is dense material and the filmmaking is very great and solid but it might be the kind of material that you walk away from it and you may just be more sad than you were happy that you watched it. It is kind of a pessimistic film it has a very, I, I love the ending because yeah. essentially the ending is wash, rinse, repeat, right? Yep. Like Much here we, like Z, right? Yeah. 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 Here we go again. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And, uh, because it's, again, it's what I kind of said. It's like, are we doomed to repeat ourselves or do we just keep going through the cycles? And do we, do we stop or do we, are we, Meant to just keep kind of going through these cycles. You have to question that at some point. You have to think to yourself, is this what we're? I don't want to believe that's what we're here for, but sometimes in the grand scheme of things, I sometimes wonder if that is what we're just, you know, constantly a battle with. Like we're just, you know, the same things over and over again. You know, burning books. Okay, we shouldn't do that. 40 years later, we're burning books again. Okay, we shouldn't do that. 40 years later, we're burning books again. <laughs> They're burning books for taking away women's rights. Yeah, We're, yeah, I know. You know. It's, it's insane. It's all these very simple things and yet every 40, 50, 60 years they come back. Yeah. And I I can only relate to it from an American side, but they, they 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 just come back. It it just blows my mind. It just it blows my mind it keeps happening. It's like, you know, everything's quiet for a while, all quiet on the western front. Oh, Mark Twain. Yeah, he's a terrible person. We're going to burn all of his books. Okay, everything's all quiet again for a while. Okay. Yep. Okay. We're all quiet. Oh yeah, Fahrenheit 451. We're going to burn. Oh wait, wait. That, that is about burning books. Oh, hang on. We got to. Uh, we got to rethink this. Yeah. It's just. It's. It's just so ridiculous uh, that we, as a species, can't figure out how to basic simple way to put this that we can't figure out how to care for each other and how to grow together. I, that's all I'm going to say. That we can't figure that out blows my mind.
2: Oh man, I know
1: it's such a simple thought process. Okay. It's so simple on paper, but for whatever reason, we cannot figure it out. So that's kind of what I came away from this film, because honestly, I think Godvers is always asking that question. Why can't we figure this out? What, what is wrong with us? Why can't we figure this out? So
3: that's, yeah, that, I that's, I knew, that's I all I got no on this film. Answer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no, no easy answers. <laughs> <there's> no. <laughs> yeah. 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 The very easy answer is, well, we can figure it out, but we we don't want to figure it out. We seem doomed to not figure it out. Yeah. And this goes down a lot of rabbit holes. We could talk for hours about the war machine, how that generates dollars, how the suffering of one people benefits the bounty of another people. We could go on for hours about that, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, is this our destiny? Is our destiny as a species, you know, I don't sit around and talk to my kids about this, but is is our destiny as a species just to, just to destroy each other in some way or fashion? And it doesn't have to be death. It can be destroy our our art, destroy our way of thinking, destroy our religions, destroy our, I don't know, our automobile banking, destroy our natural resources. I mean... So many things can be brought into this. Is this our curse? Is this what we are cursed with? Uh, you, you have to think that way. I agree. Yeah, that's all I got.
2: I agree. Um, not a lot to add. You did cover quite a bit, but I just commend this film 50 years on. Here we are, like you said. Um, yeah. Even just from a film standpoint, the thing I've always admired about Garvis as a filmmaker is his energy. His films, just they, they seem to pulsate. And he hooks back up with uh, Miki's Theodakis, the Greek composer, for maybe a little bit of a a less uh, propulsive score Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, than Z. But nonetheless, um, a very good score. It's it's spare because I think he wants to keep the film on the film and not – manipulate us with the score too much but the pieces where it's used it works quite well
1: yeah 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 so yeah i'd say that true this trilogy of films is really if you want to know what god versus all about you go z confession and state of siege i mean that one two three that's pretty much you know 69 70 and 72 yep he's pretty much uh hitting it out of the park on every one of them just crushing it man yep um, opening the film, as you'd said, very very
2: strong. It just with the first shot, like the first shot of that car, it just feels like we're in in the hands of a master.
1: Oh yeah, the way the camera goes past the trunk, and yeah. you and you already know something's up.
2: What? Yeah, I, you already know.
1: Yeah, what I love about that is I I hadn't seen this film, so I thought, and I don't know if you had seen it or not either. I thought we're going to have a car explosion here. That's what I thought. That's that's not what happened at all. Abnormal. Yeah. I mean, it was an explosion. I won't say what happens. It is an explosive moment, but a subtle, quiet explosive moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry. (laughs) No, 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 not at all. May I thrown you off there a little bit?
2: No, not at all. Uh, lots of showing of papers, early in this one.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got to have your papers, man.
2: Yeah. So, um yeah, but I uh, I love, you know, you'd mention it, the cinematography in this is great because so all the technical stuff's superb here. The editing's first rate. The cinematography's great because there's not aerial shots, but there's kind of high shots wide shots of kind of seeing the process, the day-to-day life in this country that's a military state mm-hmm. um, and just having to show your papers. And then it'll cut to faces and people. And it it, it kind of juxtaposes the intimacy of a face and uh, sort of a stoic face with the daily process. Right. Uh, and I like that. I love the color palette. You know, lots of cool blues here. It gives it a very steely kind of, you know, very cold, very rigid. Um, is that reflective of it being a police state or a military state? I don't know, maybe, but it it works quite well. There's not a lot of lush colors here, despite it being a uh, a very warm country, right? Mm-hmm. Um. What else? The quick cuts. So just one more thing with the editing. The thing I like about it is the quick cuts in the first 20, 30 minutes really give us a sense of urgency. Right? And anytime you use that that tool of Monday, Tuesday, it shows you this. You know we're working towards something. And this film isn't interested in – I'm trying not to spoil this. It's not interested in a conventional outcome. It's more, how did we get here? It's almost like a, a noir setup, right? Yeah. 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 We start at one spot. We start at the end and we work backwards. And how did we get there, right? The nuts and bolts of it. So I quite like that. Uh, this is a very dialogue heavy film. And I think it's a crackling script.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: is. Oh, it's, it, it's, it, there's a lot of ideological jousting. And it never feels kind of platformy, like it it feels like them engaging back and forth in a, in a very, like it doesn't ever feel overly theatrical or bombastic. It feels very kind of matter of fact.
1: It um, does. It does, yes. Which I like. I like that uh, scene where I like, it's a little moment, but I like that scene in the interrogation of Montan's character after he's been kidnapped where he asks, offers water or he offers milk. And I like how Montan kind of looks at him when he offers the milk. It's almost like more of like a homely kind of offering than water. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, 100%. 100%.
1: Then we cut to like, it's like 20 minutes later, you see that he's been drinking milk. He's not been, because the cup's kind of got that kind of, you know, white sheen that it has if you drink milk. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the glass has that in it and that he's accepted the milk, which is almost like this. Tactic in his, and for me, that's how I read it as this tactic of trying to fit in or trying to make them feel comfortable, and make him feel comfortable at the same time because he kind of, oh, yeah. he kind of knows what's going to happen.
2: He's a pro. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: He knows what he's in for.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's great in the film. He is. He is he's good. In the film. I love, you know, we get a lot of, not a lot. It's not like full cheer or anything. We get this fog as sort of metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. And, you know, a scene I really like, I think it, it kind of speaks to the, the youth movement, and it's almost comedic in a way. But the scene with the speakers being pulled down, it's it's playing that music. It's the sort of very leftist music. And the Oh, yeah, police. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's almost a comedic beat in the movie. I love that. Yeah.
2: yeah. It, they're frantically trying to pull the speakers down <laughs> while this music's playing. And then there's another speaker that pipes in. Then another speaker pipes in. Another speaker pipes in.
1: Yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. Like, I like that. Yeah. And you get these group of guys. It's almost like slapstick, like. Uh, like the Keystone Cops in a way.
2: Oh, it is. It feels very Keystone Copy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, what else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You really get a sense with this when we talked about kind of the cogs, the machine, but just kind of the tentacles and the machine, and at everywhere, every level.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: With this, um, you really get a sense of that, and. Uh, we had mentioned that that scene, one scene, felt like Pasolini's Salo. Just times, this feels very Melvillian in its kind of cold dissection. Um, you know, it, it just it's it's a good film, man. Obviously, what can I say? I, I, I like I said, you uh, you know that. You covered a lot of the ground, right? So I'm gonna kick it over you for make or breaks and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's one of those ones. I mean, it's just it's it's very well made it's it's a very i'm glad i saw it i'm really glad i saw it i just don't know how many times i'd watch it again and i don't know what that says about the movie and you know I, I, people often say that if you wouldn't watch a movie again and again and again it's not very good i don't know if i believe that i think sometimes some movies whether we like it or not are so powerful and so well made you might only need to see them once
2: i could not agree with you more anyone who says uh, the mark of a good film is how often you can watch it, that is completely false.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen Cannibal Holocaust a handful of times. I never want to see it again, to be yeah. honest with you. I've seen Solo once. That's pretty much done. You know, i, I you know, pretty much done. I don't really know if I need to see it again. Uh, I think I saw Enter the Void twice. I think that's pretty much enough for me. I don't know. I You know, I it's weird, though, because some films... Uh, I can watch again and again, a uh, bad Lieutenant's one. I can watch again and again and again. And that's not exactly, you know, rewatchable material, but you know, it, it's just, it's just one of those things. You just don't really know what that's going to be, but I don't think that's a mark of a good film. I really don't No. Um, uh, okay. Uh, maker breaks. Uh, I'm going to go with the opening. I really like that opening again. It's a very subtle move, but it's just master filmmaking. He, he tracks from behind the car out into the street And you see cars go by, we cut, we do a bunch of other stuff. And then we track back towards the car to where somebody gets out and looks in the car. It might not seem like that's a big deal, but it bookends that whole opening sequence. And I think that that, that's really well done. It makes it, it makes it really work. And I, I love that stuff. I love that stuff so much. It's an example of using the camera to tell a story. And uh, he does it so well in the beginning of this film. Uh, MVT, this one's kind of tough for me because I really like Hase and I really like Salvatore. Um, but I'm going to go with Salvatore because I really like his kind of character arc because you find some things out about him kind of later on and how involved he kind of is. And uh, I like his performance in the film too. Uh, it's really good. I could give it to Gavris. Very easy to give it to Gavris. But I think I like the confession and Z a little bit more than this one. Yeah. Um. I mean, Z is a is a masterpiece, so it's kind of hard to go against Z altogether. But, and I would have to give him, you know, uh, um, MVT for that one. So, I'm going to yeah. give it to Salvatore because I mean, let's be honest. When am I going to give it to Ronaldo Salvatore again? I mean, come on. It's not not a common uh, MVT there. No, it's not. Uh, score for the film. I'm going to go 7.5 out of 10. Again, I really like this movie. I think it's very good. There's no doubt about that, but I don't know how entertained I was. So I'm, I'm, I kind of beating myself up a little bit about that, but I don't know if I'm supposed to be entertained. No, that's what maybe I'm just supposed to think. So that's all I got. Sure.
2: What do you got? Nice. My break is the interrogation scene. It's, it's sort of a long drawn out thing kind of cuts back and forth. I quite like it. Like I said, it's 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 just crackling, just really well written. Um, it does act a little as an info dump, I guess, for the two ideological sides. But I think that's it's done in an engaging way for me, and I think that also gives the viewer some cliff notes, uh, just where things are at, the, to fill in a few blanks for people that maybe, you know, and just to kind of look at some things that maybe weren't considered as a viewer uh mbt i could go with uh anyone but Gavris's masterpiece is z if you haven't seen z please see z it's probably like a 9.5 out of 10 for me it's a near perfect film mm. um but i want to give it to a salvator great i gotta give it to montan i feel like he okay. Okay. represents that that company man uh who's very clear eyed about his role in, as a cog in this machine. And these kinds of characters could come across as unlikable or cold, because by and large, we want to sympathize with the people, the underdogs, mm-hmm. in very simplistic terms. Montan's not the underdog, um, but he is so good and so charming and has such gravitas that he, he, he has a just commanding presence, right? So right, right. give it to him. Um, my score is a little higher than yours. It's an 8 out of 10. Okay. I think it's a very good film. Um, I think if you like political thrillers, this is up your alley. Uh, if you, I mean, listen, all the technical aspects we talked about, the score, the editing, the, the shot composition, sound design, cinematography, all of them are, are excellent so i think most people have something to get out of it but this probably isn't a it's 1 a.m. let's put it on
1: <laughs> no no <laughs> it's the it's the antithesis of that type of film actually <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that but i mean I'm watching the movie i remember thinking to myself i'm glad i watched this kind of during the day and stuff when i was really coherent really you know jazzed up on coffee and was really into it because I don't. If I would thrown this on late at night, I don't. I don't know how long I would have lasted. It uh, it would have had me thinking, and i would have been like, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> yeah, I would have been cooked. I couldn't done it. Yeah, no, no, that's not a slight against the movie. It's just that I think you know sometimes when you throw stuff late at night, you're you're wore out. You just kind of want some entertainment, and uh, you know, kind of the, the the idea of this podcast in a way. The gentleman has got to midnight cinema. You know, those kind of movies you kind of throw on in the middle of the night. Um, this is not one of those. <laughs> so yes. <yeah. laughs> All right. All right. So that is state of siege. You can see it. It's a criterion, put it out on physical media and uh, you can see it on the criterion channel. It might be available in some other, uh, ways, but, uh, that's the way we watched it. Yeah. On the criterion channel. Look good. Look really good on there. So, um, next week we are coming back and it's October folks, as we release this, it's. The first week of October, so we're gonna get into we try to do horror films in october uh sometimes i I fail to do this, but we're gonna try this time to knock out three or four maybe five horror films and and kind of get them out there because you know we love horror films we uh that's what you know our love of cinema kind of started with horror films as so many film lovers does, and uh we're gonna go that route so I wanted to do something from arrow because I haven't done something for a little while from them uh and they help with the show and stuff and some of the programming. So we are going to cover. Well, uh, oh, I don't know what that was, but that was a beep, beep, beep. We are going to cover. Uh, <laughs> are you still there? Because I just want to make I sure. here. Yeah, it's poor connection sound from uh, Skype there. And yes, folks, we still use Skype. Um, we're going to cover a little scene. Um, well, maybe not a little scene, but uh, a slasher from 1982 called Girls Night Out. Uh, directed by Robert Duble. It looks like Robert Duble's only film. So that's what we're going to be checking out next week. Um, you guys, um, I don't know if you know anything about it, but if you don't, it's the bear mascot slasher film. That's kind of the way it probably is remembered.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's sort of the predecessor to Freddy Krueger from a implementation of bladed weapons in the hand.
1: Yes. Unless you're a ninja. Yes, yes, there you go. Yes, that is another little trivia tidbit. Those who don't know that, it it does have something going for it there. It'll be interesting to talk about. It's always fun to talk about horror films as we both grew up with uh, horror films as a huge part of our, our lives. So we hope you come back for that. We hope you enjoyed the show. Will, it's so good to have you back. I don't so take, good to be back, dude. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. I think that's it. So, Also, by the way, that that film is also known as The Scare Maker, in case anybody's looking for it out there. on, uh, If you don't have a physical media copy or the Arrow Channel, which I believe it's on the Arrow Channel, if you don't it have is. it in that capacity, uh, you might have to look for it online or something. It's also known as The Scare Maker. I so. don't like that title, if I'm being honest, though. I don't like that title at all.
2: I like girls night out.
1: <laughs> scare yeah. Scare my ScareMaker is just not a I don't know. It's like horror thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, horror thing. It's like that one we did uh with like the the weird like Oedipul really relationship, um what was it called? Like the the Baker or mommy
1: nightmare Oh yeah mate. yeah 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 the Baker Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker.
2: Yeah, that's another stupid title.
1: I think we I think we covered it under the other title. We did. uh, Thankfully. You couldn't have had it any other way. That's the one with the Bo Fence and racist cop. Yeah. (laughs) And who is it? Is it
2: uh, Susan Tyrell? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Susan Tyrell. You know my feelings on Susan Tyrell. Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, anyway, uh, so that's all I got. Uh, We'll be back next week. I will say adios. Adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com